to preach to you a sermon called the Two Twelves. We're going to read a chunk of scripture, and then we're going to get into it. Are you, it's a bit of a chunk. Are you okay? Yeah. I'm going to read it anyway. It's going to be on the screen. It says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. Jairus is a Pentecostal. So that she may be laid well and live. And he went with him. And once again, like I said this morning, let's not read the Bible in sort of like, oh, this is a great story. It happened. This is reality. This is historical. Let's think about this. Jesus is there. A pastor comes up and says, my daughter's dying. Can you come pray? He goes, let's go. A great crowd followed him, Jesus, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Someone say 12. 12. And who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports the testimony, the rumors about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And we all know what happened. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Rob Morris says that, man, if Jesus felt power leave him, what did she feel hit her? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him the whole truth. Can we pause for a second and just think of Pastor Jairus? His daughter is dying. Now, I used to look at this story and be like, whatever. But when I change it to Michael was dying, I'd be like, hey, lady, just give me 20. <laughs> You've had it for 12 years. What's another 20 minutes? My daughter is dying. See, what's funny is, uh, we can't go there yet. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, while the miracle was happening for someone else, while the breakthrough was happening for someone else, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What I love about that servant is not only does he inform of the death, he reinforces a lack of faith. He doesn't just say, your daughter is dead, let's go and believe for a resurrection. He goes, your daughter's dead, let's leave Jesus alone. <laughs> Got friends like that? Anyway. <laughs> but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I hate it when Jesus says that to me. It's like, cool, bro. <laughs> hey, Lord, I'm really stressed about this situation. Just believe. Yeah, I do. That's why I'm talking to you. Can I have some practical three-step advice? <laughs> and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house in the rule of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, which makes sense. A young girl's just passed away. And he entered and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put <laughs> them all outside. Hold on. Jesus. That's the dude with the long hair and the lamb on his shoulder. He put them all outside. <laughs> He's a good, good father. But sometimes, if you're a believer and you have a lack of faith and you're putting your lack of faith on other people, he is so, so gangster. Like, he's like, hey, I don't need that around me. Get out. 
And he put them all outside, took the children's father and, uh, father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia Kamai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, someone say immediately. immediately. The girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. I love verses like that, like, mm. <laughs> It's like when Jesus walks through a wall, and it's like, in John, it's like, and they were glad. It's like, cool, get more descriptive, Luke. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them, give her something to eat. I'll say amen to that. Give her something to eat. Father, we thank you for the couple of minutes we have left tonight. I pray you would move by your spirit, and as we unpack your word, Lord, would you minister to our very souls, spirits, and beings in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There is a connection between the two stories we just read. Uh, sometimes in preaching, we hear the story of Jairus' daughter and the story of the woman with the issue of blood. But to preach them separately is to do disservice to the flow of the text. Yeah. You know, I was thinking the other day, if we could put that photo back up of me reading Micah Peter Rabbit, that would be phenomenal. Mostly just for me. Uh, how good is that? I was, I, was, I was looking at Micah the other day, and I thought of my very first youth leader. His name is Jeremy, and I thought, why am I thinking about Jeremy? And then I kind of started thinking and going, man, if, I, if Jeremy wasn't my youth leader and didn't invite me to his 21st birthday party, where I then met Anna, and then I was like a wayward pastor's kid, you know them? <laughs> and, no, cool. And, and then... <laughs> And then invited me back to church where I met Anna again and then helped us to become friends and buddy, buddy, bar. And then, you know, we, we, we got married. And, and if I didn't know Jeremy, right. I wouldn't have Micah. Right. And so I sent a very silly Instagram message to Jeremy. And I said, Jeremy, you don't know this, but you're involved in the fact that I have Micah. He replied and was like, sorry? <laughs> I said, no, shut up, no. I... Because of you, because of meeting you, I met Anna. And, without, and we talked, and he replied, he was like, man, that is the goodness of God. He began to tell me some things in his life. And it was just amazing thinking that the, the guy that was my youth leader right. Yeah. is connected to the little human sitting on my lap and he's never even met her. You see, Jeremy's life and Micah's life are, are linked and they don't even know it. Right. Yeah. The two stories we see here are linked and the two characters in this story don't even know it. The two stories we just read are connected. Let's have a bit of a look. Uh, I think we've got a bit of a graph that's going to go up. Let's have a look at the difference between Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Okay, number one, Jairus is a man. That's, there you go. <laughs> revolutionary. And the woman with the issue of blood, whose name we don't even know, is a woman. It's revelatory teaching here today. But in this day and age, that meant a lot. We can even infer from the fact that we don't know her name the value that was put on women in this society. Now, Jesus came to redeem the times, for they were evil, but this woman, you have to understand, even by being a woman, was at a lesser, was on the back foot compared to pastor male Jairus. Jairus is rich. This woman is poor. She had spent all she had on physicians and did not get better. Sometimes people in my church are theologically picky. I preached a different sermon about Jairus once, and this lady said, how do you know he was rich? I said, a servant came running to tell him news. That's how you know you've made it, friends. I don't care if you've got a new mansion at Sippy Downs. You're rich when someone runs in and goes, 
master, the mail's arrived. You know, like, that's when you know you've made it. When someone comes to deliver news. Jairus is respected. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He probably knew Caiaphas. He, he was respected. This woman has been rejected. Jairus is, has a family. This woman has family dysfunction. You have to understand, come on, we've got to dive into the details of this text. Her not being clean under Mosaic law and not being able to marry and not being able to have kids was far much more than a medical inconvenience. It was a sentence of isolation. It was a sentence of you're not going to interact, you're not going to raise kids, you're not going to be going to the well at the same time as the other women, which is where actually a lot of socializing happened. This disease has actually ostracized you and put you to the side. Whereas Jairus is respected, he's a preacher, he has a family. These two people could not be more different. Jairus is viewed as clean. I'm not saying he was clean, but he was, would have been viewed with respect as he wore his priestly garments around Jerusalem. And this woman was under Mosaic law, unclean. You could not have two more different Bible characters interact. This is what I love. At the feet of Jesus, none of it matters. None of it matters. You might be in here and you might be living paycheck to paycheck, or you might be in here and you're on your third Tesla. But no matter what your social economic—I really want a Tesla. No matter what your economic climate, no matter what your upbringing, no matter if your parents were awesome or if they were abusive, no matter what your story is, when you come to the feet of Jesus, He says, "Son and daughter." You see, this is why we've got to make sure that church reflects Jesus. That we don't look at the person who comes in in the, in the Ralph Lauren looking all good and we go, I'm going to connect with them, but the person looking worse, we're not. If we're going to represent the heart of Jesus, come one, come all, because there is solution in the person of Jesus. Desperation levels the playing field. I wonder sometimes if desperation has left, left the Western church. You guys are good, you're pumped up, you're passionate, but sometimes you go to places and it couldn't be more comfortable. There couldn't be a better band. There couldn't be better coffee. And people are like... Yeah, oh, is it them on again? We become professional, overweight Christians in the spirit. Consumers to see it, 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 do I like it? And we wonder why we don't see miracles in our churches. We wonder why God doesn't come in power. I preach in the underground church in China. You want to see passion? You want to see demons coming out every service with no one laying hands on them? Because they've got desperation. Yeah. People sometimes say to me, what's your favorite yeah. place to preach? Is it the biggest place? No. It's the hungriest. Yeah. It's the place that's like, I'm here for 90 minutes to encounter God. Yeah. And hopefully the coffee's good. And hopefully the kids' program's great. And hopefully the foyer's amazing. I really like that foyer too. Hopefully all those things, I'm not against those things, but yeah. those things do not yeah. come into question when you're at the judgment seat talking yeah. to God about how you lived your life. Yeah. You know what he's going to say? Did you know me? Yeah. And it might sound funny, but the way some of us live, we think at the judgment seat he's going to ask us, did you enjoy service? How was the coffee? Were the lights too bright? I don't want to ruin judgment day for you, but that's not what he's going to ask. So these two characters come. It is too hot. I really wanted to show you my new jacket, but it is, it's, it's, it's Australia. Desperation is often the doorway that breakthrough walks through. I've found sometimes in my life, God just wants me to get a little bit desperate. Sometimes in my life, 
God is just like, hey, Fred, come on, are you, are you going to lean in? Are you gonna, do you actually want this? Yeah. I do, God, with everything. Do you want it enough to fast and pray? Do you want it enough to turn up? You know what God said to me once? I'm not saying this to you. God said this to me. He said, do you want it enough to increase your time? I was like, Lord, I want to pass this weight. In a non-denom church. Thank you. It was good. <laughs> Someone knows. <laughs> that was good. Well, we just pray provision. <laughs> we, speak, we speak checks in the mail. Let's delve into the details of this story. Multiple times, the gospel writer records that it's a 12-year disease and a 12-year-old daughter. So yeah. me and Anna last year got into a show called This Is Us. It's a great show. It's about a family. Jumps around in time, but we couldn't finish it because it made us cry too much. But it's a great show. And they're really emotive and they like cut back. And as the mum's on her deathbed, it flashes back to when she first had the baby. You know, it's, it's great, but it's a lot. But if the writers of This Is Us read this story, they would be rubbing their hands together. Why? Because these stories are linked. 12 years prior to the event that we just read, a young couple are coming out of a hospital with a baby, and they're pumped. Their little girl. Pastor Jairus is stoked, man. He's, he's putting her on the gram. He's like, my little girl, it's going to be amazing. Like, she, he, they're pumped that what they have waited for. But at the same time, just down the road, in a clinic for women, a woman is walking out with a diagnosis that has ruined her life. Yeah. Yeah. Same year, same time, 12 years ago. And she goes on to be rejected and ostracized and not marry and not have a family. And Pastor Jairus goes on to have a family, wealth, status, recognition. But in this story, the two twelves are touching. 12-year-old daughter, 12-year-old disease. Now, you do not have to be super switched on around certain numbers in the Bible. Seven is one of them. It's the number of completion. Love it. Five, the number of grace. Love that. But 12 is the number of governance and authority. Nothing's wasted in Scripture. I thought this was a night of power. Is he going to? Yes. But as we build something in Scripture, often the Holy Spirit moves more powerfully. Because I'm, I'm not a magician here to try and impress you. I'm a brother here to try and jab you and spur you on in the things of God. Twelve is one of those numbers. The twelve sons of Jacob became the twelve tribes of Israel. The Old Testament high tribes, high tribes, high priests would meet God on behalf of the people, would wear an ephod with twelve precious gems. The New Testament high priest, who Jesus is first seen teaching in the church at the age of twelve, when he picked his crew, he chose 12. 12 is the number of tassels on the hems of the garments of the religious leaders. 12 is the number of power, but it's also the number of authority. Yeah. Your awareness of the authority of Jesus will directly impact your faith. See, a lot of us have faith in Jesus, but we don't understand his jurisdiction. I believe in Jesus, I believe he died on the cross, and then we get a diagnosis. And we don't vocalize it, but inwardly we're like, I don't know if he can do anything. We believe in Jesus and we love him, but our child walks away from God. And we pray still, but we don't really believe that God has jurisdiction over their life. An awareness of his authority unlocks fast faith. 
Faith is like an anchor, right? We've many hymns about that. But if, if let's say me and Harry were out in Sippy Downs on a boat. We're out there, and we're not boat guys, but we're out there, and we're doing our thing, and we found a spot to fish. And I'm like, Harry, I'm a, what is it called, drop anchor? I don't know. We're going to put the anchor down here. And I pick this anchor up. I'm like, ah, it's a big deadlift. I've been doing fit stop. I'm like, ah, Harry, is this a good spot? He's like, yep, there's no rope on it, right? And I'm like, ah, come on. And I throw it out. He'd be like, you're an idiot. There's no rope on it. That's faith without an awareness of who he is. It's like, oh man, this is going to anchor me. No, it's not. Not if you don't know who he is. Not if you don't know his jurisdiction. You'll just have sort of this big weighty thing not attached to truth. So Jesus would say to us tonight, hey, there is no, man, my jurisdiction, it has no bounds. We see Jesus show authority over storms, food, death, demons, sickness, attitudes. Man, there's this one time where Jesus goes all Jedi on them. The religious leaders, the legalistic people are mad at Jesus. And in their heads, they're like, who is he to do this? This is heresy. How can he do this? And it says, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, turned around and said, what's harder? Me to forgive his sin or say, get up and walk. But so you know, the son of man has power. Get up and walk. I I would have been more concerned that he read my mind than the fact that someone got up. (laughs) I'm convinced my wife has the same ability. She'll be like, empty the bin. I say nothing. And she's like, what did you say? I'm like, I didn't say anything. She's like, what did you think? I was like, I thought, shut up. It's fair. Here's the thing, husbands. When you've been caught, just own it. Builds credibility. If Brother Keyboard could return, that would be phenomenal. Jesus has authority. This isn't in my notes, but Jesus said crazy stuff. Jesus said, greater things than me will you do. Can I say, and once again, I don't want to ruffle your feathers too much, and I'm preaching to myself as well. I don't know if the Western church is living up with that verse. I think we've reduced revival down to like a faith-filled service. Please hear my heart here. Like a headache gets healed and we're like, Jesus is here. He is, but it's a percentile of a percentile of a percentile of what God wants to do. We're not on the hunt for miracles. We're not on the hunt for demonic deliverance. We're not, but we're on a hunt that Jesus would come in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus walks into the room, demons have to walk out of it. And as we focus in on him, something would happen. Three points, then I'm done, and then we're going to lay hands on everything that moves. Number one, an awareness of authority unlocks fast faith. An awareness of authority unlocks fast faith. We've got a couple of different stories here. We've got Jairus, and he's one level of faith. Pastor Jairus comes in, he's like, Jesus, Jesus, come to my house, lay hands. What's Jairus really saying? Come and fix my issue. You walk, you lay hands. Nothing wrong. That's a level of faith. Jesus will work with wherever we're starting. But then the woman with the issue of blood takes it up a notch. She's like, you don't need to come to my house. I just need to touch you. I just need to grab the hem. But in the gospel of Mark, we see high level faith. A centurion comes to Jesus. And he says, I know that because you're a man under authority, you have authority. And you don't need to come with me. I don't need to touch the hem of your garment. You just need to say a word. 
and my servant. What does Jesus say? I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. What did Jesus just say? I haven't seen faith like this in my disciples, in John the Baptist, or my parents. Because this centurion tapped into something outside of his, he had a rope attached to an anchor, even though he was a pagan worshiping other gods. He looked at Jesus and said, there's something about his authority. What did I say this morning? When you've got authority, people just know. So come on, we need an awareness of the authority of God. There was this one time I went, well, I didn't, but Optus told me I went $740 over my bill. I know scandalous so I called up and I was like excuse me I don't know why I'm talking like that but I was like excuse me <laughs> excuse me I'm very angry I was a youth pastor at the time and this girl goes hi my name's Tiffany how can I help you and I was like Tiffany so glad you're here uh, it's saying that I went $740 over on my bill and I just I didn't do that haven't left the country or downloaded Lord of the Rings 700 times so could you look into that she goes yeah it's saying that it's to do with your data I was like, no, totally, Tiffany, I understand, but it's just, I didn't. She's like, yeah, so you can pay that this month? I'm like, Tiffany. This went on for about 15 minutes. Eventually, I said, hey, hey, would I be able to talk to your manager? She goes, why? I said, I just need to talk to the manager. She goes, okay, puts me on hold. About 10 minutes goes by, and I'm just pacing at my house, I'm raging. I was a youth pastor at the time. So 700 bucks, that's like four weeks pay. <laughs> so, so I'm like facing, and then this voice picks up. Hello, Mr. Porter, how are you? I was like, I'm good. I was like, hi, my name's Stephanie. I'm the manager here. We can see that you've been with us for 10 years. And I uh, just want to say I'm so sorry about that. We charged a different bill to your account. I'll get that waived. You know what I'm going to do, Mr. Porter? I'm going to give you two months free. You know what I said? I said, oh, well, I was ready to go. You know when you're ready to fight and then there's no fight? I was like, well, Stephanie, I appreciate it. May God bless your household for seven generations. And now I'm with Telstra. But, but the problem is I went to Tiffany and we love Tiffany. We don't want to judge Tiffany in the house of God. But Tiffany had no ability to change anything because she had no authority. But when the manager came and had the authority to change things, things shifted. Can I tell you, you know what Tiffany is in our life? Social media, phone calls, chats. We go to the wrong place to vent all our problems instead of going to the manager. Tiffany can't help you, Facebook can't help you. Those people that post on Facebook, Pastor Isaac, you'll know this in youth. What a day, dot, dot, dot. No one cares. No one cares. Take it to the throne. Take it to God. Sometimes we need, I need to process. I need to, no, we need to go to the one who fire in his eyes and say, hey, Jesus, I need you. We need to have an awareness of his authority. I remember once, I'm running out of time, but I'm, you're making me preach happy. So I was at City Point Church and I preached a sermon called Jesus is the healer. I think I stole it from Judah Smith. Not all of it, just bits of it. It was very good. And I preached it and, Altar call happened, and it was like that percentile of revival, you know what I mean? A couple of headaches. And this little girl comes up to me. She must have been in maybe years four or five. She comes up and she goes, hey, hey Fred, um, you said that Jesus can heal anything. I was like, I did, sweetheart. She's like, you said he has authority over everything. I'm like, 
He does, darling. Well done on remembering the sermon. She goes, well, my legs are different sizes. I had a skiing accident when I was young and this leg hasn't grown. It's way shorter and just thought if Jesus is the ultimate authority, he can grow my leg out. I was like, like I'm not the healing evangelist guy. You know what I mean? I'm like the pray for your headache after you've had two Panadol and a liter of water. You know? <laughs> oh, praise God, you feel better? Wow. Let's put it on Instagram, you know, God move, heads have been healed. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do, so I just copied Todd White. Todd White makes him sit down. I didn't know, I'd never prayed for a leg to go. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was like, this probably isn't going to happen. This testimony isn't about my faith. About hers. Yeah, yeah, come on. And so I knelt down and I was like, take your shoes off. She had like plat one platform converse and she took it off and we start praying and my friend Chris Hodgman comes over and he starts praying and after a couple of minutes we feel this leg pushing out and I I'll be honest, I was like, nah. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me and he said, really? I'm in the middle of a miracle and you're going to doubt me? Careful, buddy. You're okay to preach it from stage but when it happens it shocks you? Careful. I was like, Roger, <laughs> got you. <laughs> this girl's leg grows, not like, like two and a half inches. She stands there, barefoot, and she literally goes like this. She goes, oh, Jesus is amazing, and then runs off. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing, don't clap yet, it gets better. I was like, I'm a bit in shock, me and Chris are like, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> we see this mum walking up and down in the foyer at the end of the service. She walks in the order. She goes, where's the preacher? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I got up to her, I was like, hey, this is me, how you doing? She goes, well, my daughter, I'm a believer. My daughter came to this Sunday night service. She had an accident, she had legs different sizes. She just come out to the car, her legs are the same size, and she showed me, and she said, you prayed for her. I said, I did, but it was her fault. <laughs> Mums, I feel like you might be able to relate to this. She goes, don't get me wrong, I am thankful to the Lord. She's been a big week, it's a lot to process. <laughs> she walks off. <laughs> There's a reason Jesus said, come to me like little children. Because their faith has a potency. Yeah. Yeah. Their awareness of authority has yeah. a clarity to it. Yeah. Point number two, you with me tonight? Yeah. Point number two, an important interruption. Faith is not about your timeline or my timeline. I didn't want to wait five years to have kids. I thought that we'd start trying and it would just happen. It didn't. And that's one of my stories, you'll have your own, about where you were like, God, this is gonna be awesome, and it doesn't happen. I wanna say something in love and truth. Jesus is not the waiter in the sky bringing you whatever you order. He's not just our savior, he's our Lord. And either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I'm not going to say there wasn't tears, pain, confusion, and travail. There was. But sometimes we have to understand Jesus knows best. And so Jairus is walking along. He's like, Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? Jesus says, absolutely. They're walking. And let's really get into the emotion of this. He's walking through a crowd of probably hundreds and goes, who touched me? If I was Jairus, I'd be like, everyone, let's go. Who touched me? And this woman comes forward. And it says something very interesting. 
I have to be careful here. But it says, and she, she told him the whole truth. She told him the whole truth. I don't know about you, but when my wife tells me the whole truth, it's not a short endeavor. There's a reason why Doctor, why this is recorded. There's a reason why Mark records this. She told him her testimony. Yeah. Doesn't say that she says, I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. She told him the whole truth. They were probably all sitting down by the end of it. This is, I'm being facetious, but this is a 12-year journey. Yeah. Yeah. And she told him the whole truth. If I was Jairus, I'd be like, are you kidding? Let's do testimony time later. My daughter is dying. And we can actually relate to Jairus. Yeah. You ever been believing for children and it feels like everyone in the church has like the gift of fertility? You ever been believing for a partner and everyone else seems, it's like, it's like they're a human Christian mingle. People are like, do you want to get a coffee? Do you want to get a coffee? And you're over there like, what's wrong with me? Like, and even though we're being funny, maybe there's a diagnosis and you see someone else healed of the same thing. And you're like, come on, what is going on? Yeah. I want to tell you, be big enough to let God interrupt your life, but also be big enough to be okay with interruptions. Someone else's blessing is not your curse. In fact, your miracle may be wrapped up in celebrating someone else's. He is no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. But we can empathize with Jairus in this moment. I was on my way to Influencers Church last, late last year, now called Futures Church, and I was doing their Sunday at Paradise, and I was a little bit nervous. It's a big church, and I was on the plane, and. I want to tell you that I was listening to like Rodney Howard Brown and worship. I was, and I was watching episodes of New Girl on repeat. Okay, and I'm there, and I've got my headphones on. It was a late night Saturday flight, so I could preach the AM. And there was this Asian mama next to me. And the Lord said to me, hey, I need you to pray for this lady. And I said, now? He's like, absolutely. I was like, can I finish this episode? He's like, really? All right. So I put my headphones down and I tap her and I say, hey, what's your name? And she looks at me and I immediately, because I've preached in Asia a lot, I immediately realized she spoke almost no English. I said, I'd love to, my name's Fred. And she went, ah, yeah. And I said, oh, can I pray for you? She went, I said, um, she said, blessing? I said, yes, blessing. She goes, ah, yeah. I said, do you want to close your eyes? She didn't. So I put my hand on her shoulder. She was wearing like a hoodie and I, I felt so awkward. This is the thing, right? God interrupts us and we want it to be comfortable. It's never going to be comfortable because we're inviting heaven onto earth. And so I start praying. I'm like, you need to give me something now. And he's like, she's hurt her wrist really badly. So I tried to look at her wrist and there's a hoodie on. I'm like, it would have been so much better if she just had a shirt and I could have seen but blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, that was a joke, but it's also relevant. And so I said, is your wrist sore? She goes, ah, pulls it up, and she's got a splint on her wrist. And I said, I just believe Jesus is going to heal you. So I prayed for her. I said, Jesus, thank you that you healed her. Thank you that you would move right now. I said, how do you feel? She goes, hi, yeah. And then, no exaggeration, she takes this wrist thing off, and she starts hitting her wrist with the thing. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> whoa, give it a bit. She's like, hi-ya. And I'm like, hi-ya, like amazing. I go back to my show. The Lord goes, bro, 
ask if she wants to accept me. I'm like, Lord, I don't know if we have the language ability to do that. Like I said this morning, the natural things will try and talk you out of a God encounter, a God moment. Long story short, we prayed together. She accepted Jesus into her heart on the flight, and then she fell asleep promptly. Be okay with interruptions. Interruptions are good. I've got to tell you about, sorry, this is, I'm almost done. I've got to tell you about when I got my phone from North Lakes Telstra. So, not Optus, I upgraded. I went to North Lakes Telstra, I went in there, and uh, I was in there, I was so pumped to get whatever the new one was, like, like late last year, I got that, and I had like the 11 before, I was so pumped, right? Opening Apple products is like Christmas time for adults. And, okay, three people agree, maybe I'm in the Samsung church, which is super upsetting. <laughs> And so I go in there, I'm ready, man. I'm not thinking about God, the Bible, encounter. I'm thinking about Apple, iOS 18. I'm pumped. I'm in there, and this girl goes, her name is Stephanie. <laughs> she goes, hey, um, what do you do for work? She had purple hair, dyes, she was a cool-looking cat. I said, oh, I'm a pastor. She's like, is that like a priest? I was like, I don't know, yes. <laughs> she goes, cool, don't look like any priest I've ever seen. I'm going to go get your phone, love. She goes out to the back room. The Lord says to me, her boyfriend's going through something. I said, what? He said, her boyfriend is going through something. You need to pray for her. I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. The stools are so high. So I'm sitting there, a little bit overweight, swinging my legs on this stool, <laughs> feeling very unholy and epic. She comes back. And I did the stupidest thing ever. I said, hey, I don't want to seem weird. I like, fired myself up. I just like put one foot on the little thing. I was like, I don't want to sound weird. But do you have a boyfriend? Uh. <laughs> she goes, she like backs off. She's like, um, yep. I was like, no, 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 no. This is a photo of my wife. Her name's Anna. She's loving my life. I love her with all my heart. I just, I'm, I'm a priest as we talked about. And I just felt like God wants to tell me something about your boyfriend. She's looking at me like I'm insane. I said, she said, what did he say? I said, well, God said that your boyfriend's going through something, something hellish, something horrible, and he wants to minister peace. She immediately puts her hand to her mouth and starts crying. She's like, how did you know? I'm like, God told me. She's like, yeah, but how did you know? I'm like, no, I know it's weird, but God told me. I said, can I pray for you? She goes, yes. So I sat there on that stool with my feet not touching the ground, my hand on Stephanie's shoulder, and I prayed that the peace of God would come and would move. We have to be okay being interrupted. She felt the presence of God. I got my phone. I left. I'm not taking any preacher's license. This next bit happened. I walked out. The Lord's like, bro. I was like, what? He's like, you've got to get better at sealing the deal at the end. I was like, oh, no. So I literally go to the front of Norway cells. I'm like, Steph, it's me, the married guy. Did you come here? She once again is like, yeah. I was like, so, I, dude, I'll be honest, I was sweating. I felt so awkward. But this is the thing, right? If we can preach on stages to thousands, but we can't pray for someone at Telstra, yeah. Yeah. what's the point? So I stood and I awkwardly, like awkward as. I haven't told you the story, Harry. I, I, I realized that I, I said, can I hold your hands? So I held their hands at the entryway of Telstra. It looks like we're getting married. <laughs> I promise I'm super faithful. And so I prayed for her. She accepted Jesus into her life. And then I'm not going to lie to you, I ran to the car. I was like, I'm out of here. 
We gotta be okay being interrupted. We gotta be okay being interrupted. I'm not lying. I get anxiety when I fly or when I go shopping. Like actually. <laughs> last last point, then we're done. We're not. We're done preaching, and then we're gonna pray for everyone. And you guys are so lent in and so faith-filled. I'm not gonna to have to hype an altar call up. You're all just gonna to stream to the front. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Number three, I respectfully decline. I respectfully decline. I really like Dando's. It's a bit of an exegetical leap, this point, but it's a good one. I have a tattoo of Nando's there. You see? Yeah. I got that and I went home. Wondered what Anna would say. I walked in. She's a reader. She's reading on the couch. I said, babe. Got a Nando's tattoo. How good's that? She literally does this. Well, that's a life decision, isn't it? <laughs> My wife's savage, man, but... I'm kind of into it. If I went to Nando's and I said, hey bro, I'll grab my standard. I'll grab a, a, a hot half chicken, chips, some peri-peri chip dip, a peach iced tea, and a small vanilla Coke. Don't judge me, you don't know my story. And I'll pay for that. And I went and sat down and then the waiter came out and he's like, hey bro, um, we just uh, wanted to let you know uh, that we felt that even though you paid for this order and you ordered this and this is what you wanted, we've brought you an avocado salad. That's actually a thing that they serve on the menu. I don't know why. I would stand up on that table under the anointing of an almighty God and say, my brother, I'm gonna need you to bring me a half chicken, chips, peri chip dip, a peach iced tea, and a small vanilla Coke. Why? Because that's what I paid for, that's what I ordered. Jesus goes to this house ready to move in divine power, ready to see a healing. Jairus is distraught. You see, Jairus thought there was going to be a healing, but Jesus always knew it was going to be a resurrection. But then something happens in there. The haters, the mockers, and the critics begin to drain the faith by laughing and mocking God. And Jesus, in his own way, goes, Nope. Now I brought the sons of thunder with me, and I've got the parents here. We've got an atmosphere of faith. Get out. I decline this rubbish that you're bringing me. See, the enemy... Is, is coming and he's like the great waiter from downstairs and he's like oh man I brought you some depression some anxiety some hurt some pain some lack of faith and the problem with so many Christians is we're like yummy give me that order and Jesus is up there going no son no daughter that's not what I ordered and it's not what I paid for I ordered you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I ordered you freedom. I ordered you forgiveness. I ordered you clarity. I ordered you joy. I ordered these things for you at the cross. Why are you eating from the table of the devil when you can eat from here? Some of you today need to stand up and look in the face of the enemy and say, I'm not eating here anymore. You don't need a new church. You don't need better preaching. You don't need better worship. You need to stand up at home and say, hey, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I respectfully decline. I respectfully decline. And in a moment as we finish tonight, 
in a moment, the two twelves, they both encounter Jesus, freedom, healing, reconciliation. We don't hear about what that young girl went on to do, and we don't hear about what that woman went on to do. But one thing's for sure, they'll never forget the moment that the two twelves touched. They'll never forget the moment that they stepped out. And Jesus came and showed himself true and mighty and powerful. So tonight, I said this this morning, I feel that 2024 is a different year for your church. For I feel that you've been building with steadiness, clarity, apostolic vision. But I'm not going to be bold tonight. And I'm going to say, I feel like some of us have started to be consumers for Pastor John and Danielle's vision and apostolic leading. And some of us have become familiar with the fact that we have C3 global oversights running our church. This is the year to step up. This is the year to realize who God is. This is the year to start clearing out the closet of all that clutter and decline the works of the enemy. Because this is the thing. Depression, you can get comfy in it. Anxiety, you can get comfy in it. Now, we'd never say that. (laughs) Unforgiveness, you can get real comfy in that. Victim mentality, oh, we love that in 2024. We love it. Oh, they did a thing. No, no, come stop it. Jesus is enough. Last story, and I promise I'm done. For the, I don't, but I don't. In 2015, well, the church that me and my wife currently run, we planted in 2014 with some of our friends, and there's about five of us, and grew to about 150, 200, and then the senior leader had a full-on moral failing, and it, it was just horrible. We went from 200 people to 17 people in two weeks. Tithe just disappeared. And I went to apply for a job at Apple Chermside. God didn't tell me to, but I went. And I was in the car park at Chermside, and I said, are you kidding me, Lord? I I turned down job promotions to plant this church. I sacrificed money and getting ahead to plant this church because you said, you said it was gonna grow. You said there'd be campuses. You said that albums would go around the world. You said, you said, you said. And now it's all gone, it's all been destroyed. I don't want to take this job. I feel called to the ministry, but I've got no money and I don't know what to do. And my wife doesn't want to even go to church anymore. And I felt the Spirit of God reach in to that Toyota Camry in the car park of Chermside. And he simply said this, Fred, am I enough? I said, what do you mean? He said, am I enough? You've preached many times and if Jesus never did anything else, he's already done enough. But in this moment, where your dream seems dead, your financial position isn't good and your marriage is on the rocks, am I enough? And I felt the fear of God come into that car. And I started praying, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I forgot you are God of all. You have a plan. Your arm is not too short. You gave me lips, hips, and fingertips. Like you are who you said you are. And I didn't go to the job interview. And I wish I could tell you, and the next day our church grew by 500 and I went up to a hundred grand a year salary. No, I stayed on $250 a week for three more years. 
but God is faithful in the waiting. God is faithful in the building. And if you see through Powerhouse would be faithful in this season of building this church, God would blow you away. Why don't we stand tonight in the house of God?